in us. If you would, Court Church, just remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 11 today. It says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became the king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the very first month of the very first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord, and he repaired them. He summoned the priests and Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourself and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors, removed all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord in his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors to the temple's entry room. They snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule. And you see this with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle, and our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. Can we pray one more time? Father, we come before you this morning, God. We want to hear so desperately what you would have to say to us in these times, God. And so right now, God, just as we sang, God, that we pray that we would become aware of your presence right now. Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, that you would speak, God, in the areas that we may need to change, God, that you would challenge us, God, that you would push us. And most of all, God, that you would help us to grow into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, that when we walk out of here, God, we walk out different than we came in. God, that we walk out full of hope. God, that we walk out full of peace. God, that we walk out full of purpose. God, that we walk out in new life for what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had a a great turkey day. Um, In Thanksgiving tradition, I just want to share what I'm thankful for. This, by the way, has nothing to do with the message, but I'm so excited about this that I just wanted to share it in a room full of 200 of my closest friends. But um, I am thankful that tomorrow night is my last night at Oklahoma Wesleyan, and I will be done on campus after that. I will, uh, I will graduate uh, December the 10th, and I am just extremely excited about that. For those of you um, adults uh, who maybe are, are contemplating going back to school, if, if you're back in school now, I just want to say, I feel you. Man, hang in there. Solidarity, you know, hang in there um, because it's worth it. I put my uh, bachelor's degree on hold for quite some time, and um, I didn't realize how much of a dream come true it would be for me to, uh, to finish college and to go on and do that. And so I'm really excited about it. So that's what I'm thankful for, uh, this thing. And of course, my wife and kids and all that good stuff, too. But uh, <laughs> So getting into the message, um, you know, we've, we've been living in our house uh, for, um, almost, I guess, about six years now. When we first moved in, as with any house, you know, there's all those things when you move in. There's all these little repairs and things like that that you have to do. And I'm super handy. And... Um, <laughs> That was intense sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> but one of the things that was wrong in our house was the bathtub dripped. And um, no matter what you did with the, the, the knob, the faucet, the knob, um, you saw how handy I am, um, it, you know, we couldn't get it to drip. 
And so I did um, what anyone would do um, in that situation when you don't have money. You know, I went to the internet and consulted Google and said, oh, wise Google, how do I fix my bathtub? And um, so then I, I uh, you know, immersed myself in the world of home repair and quickly studied. And uh, so I, I got some instructions. And I found out that behind the knob, there's a little cartridge thingy. Um, <laughs> And, and all I have to do is take the, the screwdriver, yeah, the, the, not, the, not the flat one, but the, the, the stabby one, the, the pointy one, and, um, and I just take the handle off and replace the cartridge thingy and, and so put that all back together, and I'm golden. I'm good. And so I'm like, that actually sounds pretty easy. I've got this. And so I go, and, and I, I go to Lowe's, and, and I say, I need a, a bathtub cartridge thingy. And, um, you know, ultimately was able to find one, get back to the house, and, and I'm ready to tackle the project. And um, so in, in all the instructions uh, that I read, and I found one that was pretty easy, pretty concise. The very first instruction was to turn off the water. Now, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to be like using it. I'm not going to be like getting into any piping or anything like that. I'm really just taking off the handle. So... That's probably something they just have to say. That's like a disclaimer. <laughs> That's not really necessary for the success of my project. So I didn't turn the water off. So uh, you guys already know where I'm going. I took the handle off, and I pulled that cartridge out. And man, it was, it was just a gusher. I went full, on George, went full on George Jetson, like, Jane, get me off this crazy thing. I'm trying to hold the water back. I'm trying to push the cartridge back into the wall. Water's gushing everywhere. I'm yelling from my wife, honey, help me, you know. She comes running in. I'm like, turn the water off. And she doesn't know where. And I'm like, it's in the closet. And thank goodness we had just moved in. So I remembered where the emergency shutoff valve in our house was. And by the time we had gotten the water off, I mean, I was head to toe. I mean, I looked like I had just jumped in the ocean. You know, I was soaked. And I tried to find a picture of this because we took a picture of it, of course, because that's what you do. Um, but I, I couldn't find it. You know, I was, I was wearing a white t-shirt. And I, I, I know I've told this story before, but I said, you know, it was the saddest white t-shirt contest you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. And um, I tried to find the picture, but I couldn't. So the Lord was probably just protecting you. Um, you know, maybe some of you weaker ladies in here, you know, he's just protecting you from the awesomeness that would have been that picture. But um, <laughs> so husbands, you're welcome, uh, you know. But um, what had happened in that, in that story was I, I neglected the very first priority that the instructions told me to do. The instructions said, before you do anything, turn off the water. But I said, nah, I don't need that. And so because I didn't have my priorities right when I attempted this repair, the whole thing messed up because I didn't start right, because I didn't put first things first. And don't you know in life and don't you know in everything that what you prioritize, the order in which you do things, the thing that you place at extreme importance, of utmost importance, has a dramatic effect on everything else. And it doesn't really matter what you do down the road if you don't get that first thing right, if you don't get your priorities right, if you don't put first things first, it messes up the whole thing. And I think in our nation, that's why we're so uh, interested in, we're so concerned with what President-elect Trump is going to do when his first 100 days. It's all over the news. It's basically anything, uh, the thing that everyone is talking about. What's he going to do in those first 100 days? And we're looking intensely at all his cabinet appointments, and we're looking at all the things he's going to do, because we just kind of intrinsically know 
that what he does first, the priority, the first things first, what he does there is going to set a tone for his entire administration, is also going to set a tone for what happens in our nation. Now, I don't think I have to convince any of you this morning that our nation is in a heap of hurt right now, that there is just a lot of things going wrong in our country. And I'm not trying to be negative, but it is just the truth. I mean, after the elections happened, the the protests and the rioting, and even before that with all the, the racial tension and all the division, and doesn't it just seem anymore that the country is just becoming increasingly polarized and that there's not even a, a desire to understand one another anymore, that there's so much division, there's so much hatred going on right now. And if you're on the left, you, it, there's, there's anger toward people on the right and people on the right have an anger toward people on the left. And it just seems like everything is becoming divided. Everything's becoming polar. And because of that, it just feels like the nation is just spiraling. And there's all of this, this chaos and there's all of this disunity and all of this discord. And I, I think it's something that we can pretty much universally all agree that that's kind of the climate and that's kind of the culture and the tone of our nation right now. And there's a lot of things going on. So we're looking to the presidency. We're looking to see what's he going to do first? What's he going to prioritize first? Because we think if he gets the right thing first, if he puts the right thing first, then maybe somehow we're going to fix this mess. Maybe somehow if we can place the right thing at the right priority, if we can get the right things going, that somehow we can pull ourselves out of this mess. Well, today I want to talk to you about the role that the church plays in all of this, because I believe the church plays a bigger role in what's going on in our nation then maybe we give it credit for, and maybe that we even realize. And the thing I want to talk to you about today is this idea that maybe part of the reason, and maybe a good part of the reason, why our nation is in the shape that it's in now, why it's in the state that it's in now, is because the church, the capital C church, the big church, the, the, the people of God in this nation have neglected a very basic priority. And because we've neglected that priority, it's caused a massive ripple effect throughout our nation. And because of that, the tone and the tenure and the things going on in the nation today are related to what's going on and what we've been neglecting here in the church. And I think part of that misprioritization has become from the fact that I, I think we've placed too much emphasis on the government to fix things. And even within the church, and maybe especially within the church, we said, you know, if we elect the right person, into office, then things will change. If we pass the right piece of legislation, then things will change. If we have the right Supreme Court justice, then things will change. If we put the right people in Congress, then things will change. If we get him into office, if we get her into office, if we get this thing through, then that will be the thing that changes America. And instead of, of looking within itself as an agent of change, I think the church has said, okay, we need the government, or we need to make sure that we work through the system of government to affect change. And I don't think that's the church's place. And I don't think that that's where the power of the church lies. And I think the church has gotten its priorities off base. And because of that, we're in the situation we're in now. So I want to talk to you today about the thing that I think we've misprioritized within the church, the thing that I think the capital C church is missing, and how that relates into the tenure and into the, the state of our nation today. And then I want to talk about the kind of people that we're going to be that we're going to turn this thing around and we're going to affect change, even starting right here at Court Church, starting with you and starting with me, that we can be agents of change 
within this country, that we can be the things, if we get this priority right, that there's no end to the effect that it's going to have in our workplaces, in this community, in this city, and maybe even as bold to say, within the entire nation. And what that uh, priority is going to be is going to be so important today. And so, once again, it doesn't matter how we start. It doesn't matter what we do if we don't start right. So we're going to be talking about where we start here. So what is this, what is this big priority then that's missing? What is this thing that is so out of whack? Well, King Hezekiah, in the scripture we just read, he faced a similar situation. He's coming into office. He's uh, been appointed king. And he is walking into a mess. He's walking into a country that's been captured. He's walking into people that are divided. He's walking into a country that's lost its identity. He's walking into people that are just godless and just doing whatever they want. He inherited the mess. In fact, in verse 8, it says, that's why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. This is Hezekiah talking. It says, he's made them, his, his nation, an object of dread, of horror, and of ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. So as he's recapping the state of the nation, he's saying, you know what, guys? We're in a state of dread. We're in a state of horror. We're being ridiculed by nations all around the world. Does that kind of sound a little familiar to what's going on? I love the Bible because I think the Bible is timeless, and it speaks, even though it was written thousands of years ago, it speaks into our situation today. And as Hezekiah is assessing the state of the nation, if he's assessing the state of his country, he's looking at, and I think it's so similar to what's going on in America today. And the reason Hezekiah inherited such a mess was because of his dad. King Ahaz. Ahaz just was a wicked guy. He was godless. He did all kinds of evil things in the eyes of the Lord. And so, and because of that, the entire nation suffered. So we're talking about priorities. So I think it's important for us to look at what Hezekiah's first priority is. The thing he would do first in a situation very similar to ours, I think, speaks to what we need to prioritize today. So let's look at what Hezekiah's priority was, the first thing that he does when he gets into office. Hezekiah knew that the only way back was a return to the house of God. In verse 3, it says this, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Now, isn't it interesting that the first thing Hezekiah does is he doesn't pass some law of reform. He doesn't pass some policy, or he doesn't try to enact some new rule, or he doesn't try to enact some new governmental procedure. The very first thing, as Hezekiah is looking out across the land, as he's assessing the situation, as he's surveying it, the very first thing he says that we have got to do to make Israel great again, the very first thing that he does is he says, we have got to reopen the doors to the temple. We have got to repair the doors. We've got to make the house of God. We've got to make the temple of God a priority again in our nation. That's the very first thing he does. And I think it's because Hezekiah understands that when the temples are, when the temple door was open, when the house of God was a priority, it changed the tone of a nation. The idea that we're going to work with today, and what I want, if you're taking notes, what I'd love for you to write down, what I'd love for you to maybe tweet out or put up on Facebook is this. When the people of God prioritize the house of God, we experience the power of God. When the people of God prioritize the house of God, we experience the power of God. See, the reason why this was the first thing Hezekiah did during his reign was he understood that every time Israel stopped prioritizing the house of God, 
the nation suffered because of it. In his father's reign, King Ahaz, he shut the doors. He literally boarded up the church. He shut the doors to the temple, closed them down. And in fact, he went into the temple and took all of the goods, all the gold, all the valuable things of the temple and gave it to the nations that were trying to conquer Israel in order to try to keep those conquering nations at bay. So he said, maybe if I give them these gifts that the nations won't invade us. Well, guess what? So he gave away the priceless things of the temple and the nation still got invaded and the people of Israel still got conquered. In fact, because he shut the doors to the temple, the people of Israel during the time of Ahaz started to worship the foreign gods and the pagan gods around them. And all of the pagan gods at the time would do things like sacrifice their own children to these gods. And so they were engaged in such awful practices as child sacrifice. They would enslave one another and mistreat one another. And Hezekiah looked at the situation. He looked at the despair of his nation and said, the thing that's gone wrong, the point of origin where we've messed everything up is we boarded up the house of God. We stopped prioritizing the house of God. And I think the same thing plays out today in our society and the same thing plays out today in our culture. See, um, we swim, Pastor Brad, myself, the staff, we swim in this world of church attendance. And one thing we've seen that's really been no secret is that church attendance is steadily declining in America. Less people are coming to church and people are coming to church less frequently. And I don't think it's any coincidence And I believe with all my heart that it is not a coincidence that the rise in the things that we're seeing wrong with our nation, the rise in the hatred, the rise in the division, the rise in the divide and and the partisanship and all of these things that we talked about earlier, that the rise in that corresponds with a decline in people prioritizing the house of God. And I don't think those things are separate. I don't think those things are unrelated. But I think those things are very much connected. Just like Hezekiah saw in his time, I think we're seeing the exact same thing play out in our nation today. Well, how could I make such a bold claim? Because when, when the church is right, it affects an entire nation. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Church, says this, and I love this quote. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. See, it was Israel's covenant with God that made them different from the pagan nations around them. It was their covenant with God that caused them not to do awful practices like child sacrifice. But even more than that, that they had a sense of justice and they had a sense of human right and they had a sense of of equality and fairness towards one another. That within um, the law that God gave Israel, there were things set up for people uh, to be freed from slavery and for uh, land to be restored to people. And there was an innate sense of fairness and justice within Israel's law that was not seen in the pagan nations around them. Because Israel walked with God, they were different. Because they walked with God, they were set apart from the nations around them. The fact that Israel walked with God when they prioritized the house of God, it it was different. It set a tone and, and was something that set them apart from all these other nations. See, the thing is, when you take God out of the equation, when you take God out of the equation of a country, it leaves people to come up with their own morality. It leaves people to have to come up with their own sense of right and wrong. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, who is a great Christian apologist, he's someone who defends the Christian faith to other people. He said, without God, there is no morality. Without God, there is no morality. And he points to 
governmental systems and, and, and situations where people have risen up in power um, without God and w- without any semblance of, of, of Christian ideals. And he points to people like Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, people that incredibly oppressed and, and tortured and, and murdered thousands and thousands of people. He said that's the, that's the example. When you play out what happens when you remove God from a culture, when you remove God from a society and you take it to its extreme That's what you'll end up with, that without God, there is no morality. See, the thing is, we live in this culture now where everything, we're we're all taught that that it's it's good for us to define what's right and what's wrong for ourselves. They say, hey, what works for you, you know, works for you, but that doesn't work for you, and that doesn't work for you, and, you know, who's to say what truth is? Who's to say what's right? Who's to say what's wrong? Man, we all just got to figure it out. We all just got to try to make our own way. Well, I want to tell you that, that I think that's so dangerous because I think as humans, we're just awful at creating our own standard. We're just awful at creating our own sense of morality. There's got to be a standard. There's got to be something that we uphold. And, and I think um, that, that you see that play out. Because in nations that are founded, like America, you know, whether or not it's a Christian nation is up for debate, but it was founded on principles that were basically Christian. It was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, these principles of equality, these principles of fairness, these principles, and, and all the nations throughout the world that are founded on these principles, man, that's where you want to live. Man, the nations where it's not set up like that, I would not want to live there. I'd be scared for my life to walk out the doors every time I go outside because they're not set up. So you see that God makes a difference in the culture of a nation. He makes a difference in the culture of a people. And if you remove God from that, if you shut the doors to the church, if you take the light of God out, it drastically changes the, the, the climate. It drastically changes the tone and the feeling of a nation. I'm afraid that's what's happening in America today. And I'm not talking about the church being the moral police. I'm talking about the people of God being a light in darkness and loving their neighbor as their self and laying down their lives and, and serving and, and doing crazy things like going halfway across the world and reaching people that, that need food and need water and, and building hospitals and, and building charities and doing things that no one else will do and reaching people that no one else will reach. Why? Because we're the people of God. And if you shut the door to the church in America, if you board up the door, if you make the same mistake that Israel makes then we're going to come completely off the rails. Why? Not because America needs the church to be its moral police or the moral nanny. No, America needs the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I think the best example we see of that happened in the recent um, uh, racial um, tension that's been going on. So, you know, as you guys know, in in all these other cities uh, around the nation, um, where, where there's been um, police-involved shootings. I think, man, those cities have just come unglued. Charlotte, Milwaukee, New Orleans. People, you know, people rioting, looting. I mean, just crazy, cra- uh, Ferguson. You know, it's crazy stuff happening. And right here in Tulsa, we had the recipe for the exact same thing to happen. Did we not? We had the recipe for the exact same thing. I think we were all scared that we were going to end up just like these other, these other cities, that we we're going to be another splash point on CNN, you know, that, that it was going to happen to us. But it didn't happen here. And why didn't it happen here? I believe, and I just, I believe it, I believe it, believe it that it didn't happen here because the church rose up and because the church prayed 
And because the people of God rose up and said, not in this city. And they prayed. Instead of rioting, they prayed. Instead of falling apart, they prayed. And the people of God, the church of God, affected what happened at the level of an entire city. That that's the influence that the church had. And it wasn't a government program. It wasn't a law. It wasn't a policy. But it was the people of God. It was the church of God rising up in the power and the authority of Jesus saying, we're not going to hate. We're going to, we're going to spread love. And we're going to spread what Jesus really is. And it didn't happen here. And that's the power of the church. And that's why we can't let the church board up its doors here. We can't let ourselves walk away from the church. We have to keep prioritizing the house of God because when the people of God prioritize the house of God, we experience the power of God. And that's the power of God that could affect an entire city, that could affect an entire nation. So quickly, I want to give you three things that we're going to do to be this kind of people, to be this kind of church, to be this. It's going to start here, and we're going to see what God's going to do with it. Three things that we see, and we're going to see this from what Israel did wrong. It's good to learn from others' mistakes, so we're going to learn from Israel's mistakes right here. It says in verse 6, this is Hezekiah talking. He's kind of recapping all the things that are going wrong. He says, Our ancestors were unfaithful, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord in this dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. So the first thing, core Church, that we're going to do to, to right the ship here, the first thing we're going to do is we will prioritize the house of God. We will prioritize the house of God. I, I want you to, to hear the strong language that Hezekiah uses on behalf of God when he talks about people walking out of this prioritization, when he talks about people not doing this. He says, our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil evil in the sight of the Lord. We're thinking, was it because they were sacrificing children? Was it because they were killing one another? No, the thing that he equates to evil is they abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. Those are strong words. But I think we need to hear those words because we need to understand how seriously God takes it that his people be in his house. He he uses a word so strong as evil. Now, why would God place such a strong emphasis on that? Why would it? It's because when we don't prioritize the house of God, when we, when we turn our backs on him, it, we're literally, it's like, it's like if this is the church, we're literally turning our back on God and heading off to do what we want to do. And I, and I think he calls it evil, but I think you can hear the brokenness in God's heart for my people, the ones I've redeemed, the ones I've rescued, why would you turn your back on the very thing that I've given you? Why would you turn your back on the thing that can bring you joy, that can bring you encouragement, that can lift you up, that can change you, that can make you a new person? Why would I give you this gift of the church and of my house? Why would you neglect this gift? And I think that's why God's so stirred up about it. And I think that's why he's so passionate about that. He would use such strong language uh, on, on not prioritizing the house of God. See, the, th- the thing about the house of God is it has the power to change your legacy. And it has a power to impact your family, but not only that, but your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. And, and you can change your entire legacy. You can change your lineage by your prioritization of the house of God. I mean, think, think about where, where else are you going to receive this kind of encouragement, 
this kind of faith building, this kind of of charge to live differently. You're not going to get that at work. You're definitely not going to get that at school. You're not going to get that on the news. This is one of the only places that, that I know of where you can come in. And like last week, we talked about living in integrity, that you're going to have that charge to live in integrity and to make the right decision even when it's hard, doing the right thing in the right time for the right reason, that you're going to have, that, that you're going to have this charge to treat others right, to, to do justice, to show justice to the poor and those that have nothing to give back to you, but that you have the ability to treat them in the image of God. This is the only place I know of where you're going to hear the charge and the encouragement, the reminder to live a life of compassion, to go halfway around the world to people that are starving and to give them a home and to give them meals and to give them hope and to give them encouragement that we would know how to treat people, that we know how to, to love one another, that, that we stand up against things like sex trafficking, we stand up against things that break the heart of God. This is a place where you're going to come and you're going to find out how to live in relationship with one another. We've seen marriages be restored here. We've seen families be restored parents to the children and children back to the parents because they're receiving the hope and the encouragement of the difference God can make in your relationship. You're being encouraged to live a life of generosity when you come to the church, that life isn't all about just what you can get and what you can acquire and what you can accumulate, but life is about what you can give and what you can invest in the lives of the people around you and that the difference you make is not how big your house is or how big your account is when you croak and leave this place. The difference you make is how much have you invested in the lives of others, in the lives of your friends, in the lives of your family. That's the legacy that you ultimately leave. And this is the place where we receive that encouragement week in and week out. And it's so important, church, because we have to fight the drift we have to fight that tendency to drift back into just what society and what culture says. And I just figure it out on my own. I just define morality for myself. I'll just define right and wrong for myself. And when we come in week in and week out, we hear the hope and we hear the encouragement. It causes us to stand strong against that. It causes us to stand strong against the drift. And it causes us to say, no, I'm going to live for something different. I'm going to live for something more. I'm going to live for something bigger than myself. And that's why it's so important that we prioritize the house of God week in, week out, just a rhythm of our life, week in and week out. And if, if unless, you know, I've got a 106 degree fever or, unless, you know, that, that I'm in the house of God, even when I'm tired, even when I don't feel like it, even when it's cold outside and it would feel so good to sleep in, even when family's in town, even when I'm out of town, even when it's not my church, but if I find a way to, that I prioritize the house of God, because church, we need it week in and week out, because we're so prone to drift. We're so prone to wander. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to be an open door church. It says this in verse 7, that they also shut the door to the temple's entry room and they snuffed out the lamp. Core church, I want you to hear me. If you're new to our church, this is the heartbeat of our church. We are going to be a church that has its doors open to the community. We are not going to close ranks. We are not going to circle the wagons. We are going to be a church that has its doors open to the community. You know what that means? That means regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of sexual preference or orientation, regardless of whether you're pro-life or regardless of whether you're pro-choice, regardless of your political affiliation, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, regardless of any of these other labels or stigmas or stereotypes that we can put on people, we will be a place where you are welcome to come 
and explore Jesus. And you are welcome to come and hear about who Jesus is. It just means we have to surrender our prejudices. And you may not be prejudiced racially, but I think all of us, to some level, carry around a certain prejudice that we have to surrender to God. Maybe for some of you, you're prejudiced, prejudiced socioeconomically. What I mean by that is you look at poor people and you say, come on, lazy, get up and work. Or maybe if you don't have a lot of money, you look at people who do have a lot of money and you're prejudiced against them. It's like, oh, what do you need all that money for? That there's all kinds of, you know, it may not be racial, but, but I think a lot of us, we have prejudices in our heart that we have to work through. But guess what? The reason, the reason why we like to have everyone crammed together is we want you sitting next to someone that makes you uncomfortable. Because it's good for you. It helps you grow. It's not good for you to have all this room. Man, you need to be crammed in next to someone that's going to challenge you because that's what the body of Christ does. And if you don't have a lot of money and you sit next to someone with a lot of money, and, and man, my... I'm related to someone who's, who's really bad about this. And all she sees is money. You know, she goes to a church and she's like, well, they have all this. And I'm like, mom, they don't. I'll just say who it was. <laughs> Call her. They don't care. That's hilarious. Yeah, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to move on from that point now. I think I've made it. <laughs> So we're going to be an open-door church. Amen? Amen? Amen. The final thing we're going to be is we're going to be a people of prayer and worship. We're going to be a people of prayer and worship. So we're going to prioritize the house of God. We're going to be an open-door church. Finally, we're going to be a people of prayer and worship. In verse 7, it says, They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That, that incense and those offerings were always symbolic. Anytime you read that in Scripture, it, it, it's kind of the symbolism of, of prayer and worship going up from the house of God. And they had stopped that in the time of Israel, and we see the, the dramatic effect that it has. And I want to tell you that the, the church can never just become a place of entertainment. It can't become a place where we come and we, we get our religious goosebumps and we just feel good about ourselves and we hear an encouraging message. All those things are great. I'm not, I mean... It's good for us to come in and have a good time, all that stuff. But, but at the end of the day, Jesus said, my house, my church, my place, my home, needs to be called the house of prayer. And that's why what we're getting ready to do here in just a few minutes is so important. Because it's the central. Without this, we're, we're just another club. We're just, you know, we're just another charity. But this is the thing that makes the church different. Is that if, if we will come in and we will prioritize prayer, and we will prioritize worship. And we'll prepare our hearts and we'll come in and say, God, I'm here for you. I'm here for you, God. And, and there's just something powerful. There's something that, that you can't explain. You can't even really put it into words. But there's something powerful that happens when we come in collectively and corporately and do this together. You know, it's like I have, I have personal prayer times and and, you know, maybe, what, two, three, four times a year you have, you have a personal prayer time that's just like, you know, where, where God's all over you and it's goosebumps and all these things. And, and, but, man, I tell you, every time I come together corporately with you guys and worship, man, God's here. And, I've, and I experience his presence. I sat right over there today and just being in God's presence as the worship was going and, and just being able to forget about speaking for a few minutes, forget about all the things going on in my life for a few minutes, and just to worship him 
and just to give it back to him and just remind myself and reorient myself, God, this is about you. My life is about you, God. And Lord, I see all these areas in my life that aren't about you, and I need to give those to you. And, and letting worship cleanse me and let, letting it seek, seek through me and, and look through me and, and reorient my life, that's what it's about. And if we don't prioritize that on a weekly basis, we're going to drift. And that's why God calls us back to these things. He calls us to be a people who prioritize the house of God. He calls us to be an open-door church that anyone who wants to experience that is welcome, that we're not going to close ranks and we're not just going to become our little Christian clique, but we're going to be a, a church that engages the community and is welcoming to anyone that wants to walk through these doors, and that we're going to be a church that doesn't shy away from the power of prayer and doesn't shy away from the power of worship, but even that we would get here early so that we can get as much of it in as we possibly can because we understand that there's power in it. There's power when the people of God come together. Your faith was not meant to be lived out individually. And for some reason, we've just really gotten off track where we, we put so much emphasis on individual faith. Stay at home. Watch it online. It's just as good. Just watch it on TV. It's just as good. Just have your quiet time. It's just as good. Yes, all those things are great, but there is no substitute for the people of God coming together and experiencing the house of God together corporately. Because when the people of God prioritize the house of God, we experience the power of God. So the final thought I want to leave you with is, is this, is that revival starts in the church house, not in the White House. That it doesn't matter who gets elected. That it doesn't matter what laws get passed. It doesn't matter even how the church is treated. If we lose our 501c3 status, if we get persecuted... If all of a sudden it becomes difficult to be a Christian in America, that may be good for the church. Because revival doesn't start in Washington. Revival doesn't start in Oklahoma City. Revival doesn't start in seats of governmental power. Revival starts with you and with me and with us getting on our knees and living a life that's different and loving our neighbor as ourselves, and not living self-centered, self-seeking, self-serving lives. But if the people of God would just get it through our heads, that we could live in this way. How different would our families be? How different would our workplaces be? How different would our community be? How different would this city be? How different would a nation be if all of a sudden just a humble group of people began to live lives as Jesus called us to live? And that starts by making the simple decision to be in the house of God. That we say, God, I prioritize this. God, I'm putting first things first. God, I'm not going to skip this part and then pay for it down the road. God, I'm going I'm to orient my week around the house of God. No matter what it costs me personally, no matter if I'm tired, no matter if I don't feel like it, I'm going to prioritize the house of God because I know when I do that, I'm going to experience your power in church. When we experience his power, we're able then to take that power into our workplaces, to take it into our community, to take it into the world. This is being salt. This is being light. This is being the difference. And this is the thing that's going to bring healing to our nation. You and me walking in the power of God. That's the difference. That's the healing. That's the hope. That's revival. So it starts with this. Be here next week. And be here all month, be here for the entire month of December and invite people and just keep living. Just keep going after God and keep seeking him and be, be a person that prioritizes the house of God and be a person 
that lives with open doors, that, that there's no one that is off limits, that you surrender those prejudices to and be a person of prayer and worship. And if we'll do that individually, if we'll do that corporately, man, there's no telling what God's going to do.